Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, let's let's go the other way around and introduce Joe Perez first. Hey, Joe. Hey, everybody. You may you may recognize me from columns such as Know Your Shaman and What Are Shaman Doing with Healing and other things of that nature. But you also do another podcast, don't you? I do, and that other podcast is all about lore in games. Go figure. See? I am such a story nerd. You're totally an expert here. Speaking of experts, our other lore-focused writer at Blizzard Watch is also with us today, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hi, Rossi. Hello, everyone. How you doing? Let's not talk about how I'm doing. <laughs> it's been a week, hasn't it? Yes, it, it's been like a month and then a year, really. It's just time keeps happening, and... Things. As my, my, my wife said today, he's like, did you know when we got married that it would be like Torment and Diablo every year would just up the difficulty? <laughs> I was like, yeah, can we can we take it down to Torment 3? I don't feel like I'm getting the legendary drops to handle this level of difficulty. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. All right. So for this episode, I didn't actually have like much of a game plan coming in, but then Blizzard threw me a surprise this week and released a free comic. Um, which is pretty much, it's one of the lead-in lore pieces for Legion. I hadn't really heard anything about what they were releasing or how much they were releasing. I knew that they were releasing some Illidan animated shorts. And, you know, in the same vein as the Burdens of Shaohao and Lords of War. But those aren't coming until later. We haven't seen any hide nor hair nor hint of their release as of yet. However... I didn't know if they were going to be releasing any short stories or comics or anything. And lo and behold, this week we got one. Uh, it's called Bagney, Fault Lines, and it was written by Matt Burns. Artwork by, how do you guys pronounce his name? Is it Ludo? Ludo Lullaby? I, I just say Ludo Lullaby. I don't know if that's Ludo, right. Just, Ludo Lullaby? Okay. It's probably not because it, it sounds like an Italian name. I feel it, really bad because I'm probably mangling the pronunciation. And this guy, this guy is is one of my favorite artists at Blizzard. He's done a lot of art. He did a lot of work on the original World of Warcraft comic run. He did art. He did the art for um, World of Warcraft Ashbringer, which is one of my favorite shorts. And also Curse, Curse of the Worgen, which is another one of my favorite shorts. Um, and then all of the... Uh, introductory art pieces for the leaders of Azeroth short story series. Those were all him. So you know what's I mean, weird? he's done um, a lot of work for these guys, and I love his work. <laughs> his art has changed so much from the first time I saw him doing the Warcraft comic. Yeah, but he... I, I already didn't like him when he did the Warcraft comic. Then he did Ashbringer. And I was like, okay, I don't know what changed between these two projects, but keep doing that. Well, it was one of those things where he's done a lot of what they call um, BD art, which is like mm -hmm. this weird, distorted sort of like exaggerated art form. And mm -hmm. that that's really big in, in Europe and where he's from. So I'm not really terribly surprised because unless you like are into that aesthetic, you tend to hate it. Well, the uh, thing is, is that it really I think it, it benefits from like looking more painted. Yes. Like, it looks yes, when he did does. the Ashbringer, it's more painted looking and it works a lot better. Yeah, but it, his work has been ever since then. Curse of the Worgen is really well done. It's I absolutely. loved it. I absolutely yeah, loved it. And I, there's something about the way that he draws eyes that I really like. I, I, and I don't know what it is, but there's something about every character that he draws when he draws eyes. I really get. I just I focus on those, and I just I really like his work. Anyway, so this is a free comic. You can pretty much download it from Blizzard's website. You can download it as a PDF, or you can go to the Made Fire website. They've got a motion comic version of it. Um, motion comic. It's not 
animated per se in the in like the style of traditional animation where you sit down and you watch like a YouTube video. What it is is each panel has a little bit of motion in it and there's also a soundtrack that goes along with it. And that's it's kind of cool, actually. I, I like how they're doing this. This isn't the first thing that they've done it with. Um, the Overwatch comics that they released prior to Overwatch's release, they also had made fire versions of all of those, too, which was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, it's free. You don't have to pay anything for it. But I learned this today. Yay. <laughs> enough about the, that and about the comic itself. Obviously, Magni Fault Lines, this is a lead-in comic for Legion. Um and we're going to be spoiling the comic, but it's a 10-page comic. So if you haven't read it yet... Stop this. Go stop buy this. It, read it. Take 10 minutes, it. 5, 10 minutes. Go download it, read it, come back, and you'll be fine. Um, there's not really what I would call like spoilers for Legion here. It's just lead-up content. But what a bunch of lead-up content. So, Joe, Rossi, take it away. Uh, Joe, you want to go first? Yeah. So, I mean, this you comic... You just also, finished reading it, so I, go I totally ahead. Just did. This, this comic <laughs> came with uh, Onion Cutting Ninjas... Like, seriously. So it's it's really cool because it opens up with a scene and it's Moira talking to Magni. And Magni's still in crystal form. He's still in the old uh, Iron Forge underneath where he's been for the last four years. And we find out that for the last four years, she has been coming down here every day to talk to her dad. Because the priests think that, you know, talking to him may actually wake him up. I think that's kind of cool because it's one of those things where it's along similar lines of what they tell you to do with like coma patients or things like that. And it's like these people are not ready to let go of him. But we also find out that the thing is, though, I'm going to cut in and interject here in the short story. uh, Gosh, which one was that? Was it was one of the ones at the very tail end of Cataclysm where Thrall confronted Deathwing and Deathwing mm-hmm. showed him the world and everything. There was a brief moment in there where he contacted something that was still alive, like a crystalline statue mm-hmm. thing. Yep, yep. And what I'm wondering is, I mean, I'm assuming that they thought that maybe he had passed on, but this was in that short story. That was a clear indicator that this was not the case, that Magni was still alive ish. In statue form. I don't know. He was in the middle of his Pokemon evolution or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> well, um, I mean, like lore wise, it makes sense, right? They're they're from the earthen. They are from they are that line of they people, evolved so, from the stone and he yeah, just went back to he the just stone. went back to it. He went back to that that crystalline form. And that the story you're talking about was wild speculation along all the dwarf forums. And yes, I belong to dwarf forums because dwarves rock <laughs> where it was <laughs> literally that, Mag- uh-huh. okay. <laughs> that Magni was still alive and that he was going to come back and that he was going to be like this big whirlwind force and that, you know, it was going to be this huge epic moment. You partially right. OK, but. The cool thing here, and this is what I what I loved about it, is we see a side of Moira who happens to be one of my favorite NPCs in all of WoW history. We see a side of her that we never really get to see. And it's this touch of emotion where it's like, yeah, you're my dad, but you were never my dad. And yeah, I'm here because I need to keep up appearances because I need to keep the, the dwarven people together because everything we've been going through, if I, if I screw up, if I do something wrong, then... You know, I can't let that fall apart, but it's not for you. It's for me and for, you know, your grandson. So it was one of those cool moments where I like I'm reading that. And then Magni responds. And it was this infinite moment. where It was like you have this little blue text where it's like he states, I'm like, I can hear her. 
Like he can hear everything that's been happening. He can see everything that's been happening. But is he talking about Moira or is he talking about the other voice? He's talking about Moira. And okay. that that's confirmed later in the comic. So but I think that's really, really cool. And then at this point though, too, uh he mentions that he can hear well, I guess this is I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. You you may have hit a po- interesting point on in the head there because I, I read that and I took it at face value. He might be actually talking about Azeroth. Yeah. Well, yeah, he might actually, actually be talking about it because because that ties back in with the end of the comic too. We got to jump in here um, because yeah, there's yeah, something yeah, yeah. that's been kind of teased throughout Legion that I think ties in here. Um, one of the things you do in Legion is you're looking for various well, but, 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 Hold no. up. Hold up. I think before, this needs to be talked about. No, though. no, it does. It does. But before we it does. We have to give the spoiler warning. Yeah, I was going to say, we are talking Legion content in this in this uh, podcast. We're not just talking the comic itself. So if you're <laughs> avoiding Legion spoilers, maybe come back later. <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. right. Anyway, go ahead, Rossi. Sorry. One of the things we're doing in Legion is we're looking for things to basically, they're Titan relics. Um, the Pillars of Creation, they're called. And... Um, there's various ones. There's the the Hammer of Kazgaroth, the the Eye of Amanthul, the uh, Tidestone of, of Golgoneth, and uh, I forget what the fourth one is. Tear of Elune. The Tear No, the Tear of Elune is the one I was going to talk about, the fifth one. Four of them are named after Titans, uh, and one of them is completely slipping my mind, but it's it's out there. Well, I mean, the, we can make the, the argument that in, the fifth one, love it, but all five of them are named after Titans. No, that's actually where I'm going with this. The, the fifth one is the, the Tear of Elune. And it gets lost. It's you don't get it uh, in the in the expansion. What happens is Elune makes another one, which implies that Elune is present. And Elune is a she. Now, the she that Magni is talking about might be his daughter, or it might be someone else. Mm-hmm. Joe said it might be Azeroth. If it is Azeroth, it might actually be Elune because Elune was said to live. Well, let's, in the well of eternity. Yeah, let's let's talk about that a little further here. Let's actually discuss the comic, and then we'll get into the implications yeah. afterwards because there are there are several things to talk about on that front. Um, as far as the comic goes, Moira herself, Moira Bronzebeard, has been kind of an interesting character. Like since she was first seen back in Vanilla, there was mm-hmm. a quest chain where Horde players and Alliance players. Um, had to go into what is it, Black Rock Depths? Black yeah, the Alliance yeah. players. Alliance players were actually sent by Magni because he, Magni is under the impression that his daughter has been kidnapped. Yeah, he didn't really know her very well. Right, he, yeah. and and he thinks that she's been kidnapped. And yeah, she's been captured he, on, by dark sorcery. Right so yeah. on the Horde side of things, Thrall sends you there to get her because he figures that this kind of diplomatic gesture will sort of maybe strengthen the bond with the dwarves because Thrall's still on his diplomacy I would like to get along with everybody kick at this point in time so you're sent there and you're told under no circumstances should you harm or do anything to Moira mm-hmm. um, when you get there Moira's sitting there with Thorissian yes Dagon Thorissian yeah. Dagon anyway and he's he doesn't have her captured he doesn't have her mind controlled he doesn't have her anything else She's there, she's there because she's in love with him. She's there because she's going to have his baby. She's mm-hmm. there because she left Ironforge and decided to go, like, there was no there was no ulterior motive here or anything else. She fell in love with the guy straight up. And 
apparently her father couldn't like see that or understand that or you know didn't want to think about that but there's well, like considering there was the I war of say, the, the war of the three clans i mean it makes it almost yeah. in his mind impossible right yeah I, I have to say though it's a shame this wasn't you know communicated to me before i murdered my way through the entirety of black rock depths oh yeah got to the basement killed my way through a giant fire giant the entire room full of jerks with torches got myself finally into the throne room, killed all the advisors and then killed him right in front of her. Maybe someone could have pointed out at the door. Oh, oh no, no dude. She's totally here on her own. No, you don't get it. Yeah. She's just, she's there. Cause she's like really into him. Like Although, really into maybe, him. I got to admit, I wasn't really paying a lot of attention Perhaps they were no, coming up because... to me and going, "Hey, no, this is all a misunderstanding." Ah! Well, it, it, it's interesting because it plays Look, on the prejudice too, right? You didn't even get those torches right? from somewhere. Yes. Someone so had like to get those torches. Yeah, but it plays on the dwarven, the dwarven prejudice, where we believe that the the dark iron dwarves are completely lost because they've been serving an elemental lord. Now they've been subjugated at this point. They can't possibly be good or possibly have good intentions or be doing anything other than evil. So even if the signs were there, I don't think our characters would have really paid attention. Oh, no, 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 I wouldn't have. But I still think it's kind of funny that I get there and I kill him. And there's this real awkward moment where she's like, I loved him. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And she's did like, he, he I'm drop? not going back with you. You could tell my father, you can give him the finger for all I care. Not to I'm staying you. here. Not to interrupt you, Moira, but um, did he drop the Dreadforge Retaliator? He did? <laughs> um, okay, I'll just be taking I'll, that. I'll take and, that, and then I'll just get um, out of your hair. I'm very sorry, sorry for your sorry. loss. Sorry. Ooh, Iron Foe. Awesome. I mean, that was awful. What happened? That was terrible. <laughs> I'm, sorry I murdered, I'm sorry I murdered your husband. So, I'm going to take this artifact with me now. Bye. So when Cataclysm, when Cataclysm hit and we got uh, The Shattering, the novel The Shattering, um, there was a whole section in there about what was going down in Ironforge because obviously what happened with Magni, when Magni was crystallized, there was nobody there to lead Ironforge. So it left the whole thing open again to, okay, who's going to lead? And all three representatives from all three of the different clans showed up and there was a lot of fighting going on. But more importantly, Moira came back. Moira came back with her son in tow, little baby boy, and said... I'm a bronze beard. This is mine. It belongs. It's going to belong to my son. So I'm here to take back what's mine. Thanks. And kind of like started playing havoc almost. Um, it was, it was really interesting because there was this whole game thing going on with Anduin where she had Anduin kind of imprisoned, but she didn't say he was imprisoned, but it was really obvious that he was imprisoned. And you're voluntarily going to stay here for the rest of your life. Right. And at the very end of it all, at the very end of it all, Varian showed up and basically sat everybody down in a corner and said, you three, you're going to get along. You're going to lead this thing. That's well, the end of that. I'm taking my son and going home. Yeah. She also kind of found out it's not wise to do that to a guy who's lost as much as Varian Rin. No. He didn't take it well. No. He took he it like not. a, hmm, do I have a group of secretive assassin types? I Why, do yes, have I do. <laughs> uh, you guys get together. We're going to go. Oh, by the um, way, I'm going to lead you in there since, you know, I'm, I know my way through, like, sewers and, and everything. So why don't Varian I don't... was dead set I'm, and prepared. I'm, I'm, yeah. De Varian was dead set and prepared to kill Moira. Oh, he yeah. was he was prepared to kill her. But the 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 interesting part was, was that there were these scenes between Moira and Anduin where they were kind of talking back and forth a little bit, and you got the impression that Moira was not her father's favorite daughter. He was her, or she was her father's only daughter. She was what? her father's only child, and she made the dreadful error of not being born a boy. 
which meant that she couldn't inherit anything and she couldn't, you know, because because she's a girl and she's somehow inferior and that's kind of how her father treated her her entire life. So when when Dagrin showed up and started treating her with the kind of respect she thought she deserved and she did deserve, you know, let's be fair here. She fell in love with the guy and she left because she was like, look, here's somebody who's going to treat me like I'm like an equal, like an equal, not not something that's somehow lesser or inferior or yeah. not good enough. Yeah, his, his disappointment in her just for an accident of birth was really soured her on him. And that's in this comic, too. That's a big part of the comic. Actually. Yeah, that it ties into the comic, though, because, you know, Magni, obviously, he's four years, four years. He's been encased in this crystalline entity form, whatever you want to call it. And he's been listening to her every day. <laughs> basically, he glitched out when he cast Avatar and he, yeah. now he's stuck that way. <laughs> um, seriously, that is what he is. He is. He is still it was made a of really control. advanced case of loot lag. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I thought what's interesting, not just the they handled the politics of the situation, but that Magni made zero move to try and take the throne back. Yes, I thought that was really important. He was, yeah, and, and that's important too because that Council of Three Hammers, it had a really shaky start. And there was, um, which one was it? It was the Wild Hammer one. There was a, there was a leader short story with the Wild yeah, the Hammer. Falstad the Falstad one, yeah. one, yeah. Yeah, and it was really, 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 really sad. And it's also available for free on Blizzard's website. And if you haven't read it, you should. But it kind of highlighted the tension that was going on in Ironforge directly after the Council of Three Hammers was formed. Because these three clans didn't care for each other very much. Not at all. There's a lot of history um, to the dwarves. And... It took a while for them to learn how to get along, but it seemed like at the end of Mists of Pandaria, when you do that scenario, Blood in the Snow. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, that that things have finally started to settle down for the dwarves, and they've established this kind of new regime where it's it's the Council of Three Hammers all over again. And it's working for them. It's actually working out for them. Maybe they don't get along all of the time, but they get along well enough that they're this strong united front. So when Magni wakes up, of course Moira's first fear, and the first fear of everybody in Ironforge is... Is he going to take his throne back? Is he going to take his throne back? All of this stuff that we've been working four years to put together and finally get got you know into some sort of semblance of order, are you going to take that away from all of us? And the answer to that is no. Well, although it wasn't a fear for everybody, some of the dwarves were like thrilled and thought for sure he'd take his throne back and wanted well, yeah, the, to. Yeah, the bronze beards would. But I thought yeah. it was interesting that the statement was coming from Moira too. Like yeah. the the whole breakdown of this is the fear of all the people. This is what we have already built. This is the United Nations of dwarves with equal representation for all clans in the ancestral home of Ironforge. Like this yeah, is all from her mouth. Well, of course it is because Moira isn't there as the bronze beard representative. No, she's. She's dark the Dark Iron representative because she's the regent of, over the Dark Iron Dwarves for her son, who is now about five. Yes, he would have to yeah. be, which we haven't he's, seen. Yeah, we haven't, we seen, haven't him. seen him yet. No, but he's about five. So at this point, he's a walking, talking, you know, little baby future king of the of the of Dark Irons. And he is the you know, he is the logical representative of both Dark Iron and Bronzebeard, which is fascinating because we were talking about the history of dwarves, and I don't want to like derail us too much, but the dwarves originally, when they originally Rossi, split off... this is Lorewatch. You can go yeah. off the rails as <laughs> much as you'd like. Go ahead. But you just, you just when the dwarves split, um, it was actually a three-way split because originally, the original kings of Ironforge were the Anvil Marline, not the Bronzebeards, not the Dark Irons, 
not uh, the the, um, the Wildhammers. They're all usurpers. None of them actually deserve the throne, especially Magni. They're, they should all be destroyed. But anyway, um, I like the Anvilmars. Uh, anyway, the, the, <laughs> the Anvilmars, when when the Anvilmar king died, and I forget the, the name of the one that died, uh, his, Mataron, my, that's right, he, he died, his son was considered too weak by the Bronzebeards. And the Bronzebeards started the war. The Bronzebeards were the ones who usurped him and started the war. Dark Irons were like, we're not taking that. We're not taking a, a Bronzebeard in charge. And the the war, when the war fell out, both the Wildhammers and the and the Dark Irons were driven out. They didn't leave voluntarily. They were driven out. The Wildhammers and the Bronzebeards have had peace since, but it started off a three-way split. When the the the, the Dark Irons decided we're going back and we're taking Ironforge back. The Wildhammers and the Bronzebeards had had enough enough years of peace between them that the Dark Irons decided if we attack one, the other will come to its aid. We're going to have to split up and attack them both at once. And so the sorcerer king Thorasan at that time sent his wife Moggud to attack Grim Batal, which was the, the Bronzebeard hold. So in a weird sort of way, they created much of the Bronzebeard, Wildhammer good feeling between each other by attacking them both at once. They gave them a common cause. It was they the were dark- united against a common enemy, pretty much. Yeah. And as a result of all that, when the, when both invasions failed and the Dark Irons had to go back, and the, the one at Grimbatal just barely failed. Moggood was kicking butt, um, and the the king of the of the you know the the, Bron- the Wildhammers actually had to go out and kill her himself. Man, you know you know man versus sorceress, and and in the process. Grimbatal was lost because it was so cursed by her magics. Uh, when they chased the Dark Irons back to what was then the, the city of Thorasan, uh, Thorasan did some magic, and we ended up with the, the Blasted Lands, and right at the, you know, the center of it, we've got Black Rock Mountain. That was basically created by Thorasan. He destroyed the entire area, summoning Ragnaros to fight his enemies, not knowing he was summoning Ragnaros. He, he was just trying to pull through something powerful enough to Jeez, hold them off. Like, it's almost like dwarves try to do that and have really negative repercussions when they do. Go now, dwarves don't really seem to know what they're doing sorcerously. A lot I, of found, I found this in a book, and it says it's going to work. Ah, uh, no. But as a result of that, though, what Moira has effectively done through her union with Thorson isn't just... It's like Joe said before, this was considered impossible. No, the, the Dark Irons were considered accursed. You couldn't possibly bring them back into Dwarven society. What she's done by marrying Thorasan, by having a child with him, by being regent to that child, is create stronger bonds between the Bronzebeards and Dark Irons than have ever existed. Like, literally, the only thing that would make that even stronger is if her son grows up to marry a Wildhammer. Oh, yeah. And at that point, you have the complete unification of the clans underneath the Ironforge clan yet again under one leader. Until Thargus kills them all and takes back over. Because Ironvilmars are awesome. No, he won't do that. Thargus is ridiculously loyal to the Bronzebeards. Um, Yeah. But, yeah, the, the, the thing Moira has done, the thing she was afraid to see destroyed is unprecedented in dwarven history these clans have not been united since the anvil mars it's been like what 400 years yeah at least it might have been longer than that at least yeah so this is a big deal for her to say you know this 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 could be the destruction of our dream she's not kidding because the dark irons had no hope of ever getting back to iron forge before her 
And she steps up and says that she's, you know, Iron Forge belongs to every clan. We've established that. Mm-hmm. And if I have to, I'm going to fight to make sure it stays that way. Oh, Implying and- that, yeah, she will kick daddy's butt if she has to. And speaking of the War of the Three Hammers was 230 years before Warcraft works in humans. Okay. So we're talking the War of the Three Hammers is actually after the uh, Anvil Mars die yep. out and the clan split. So yeah, we're talking hundreds of years, hundreds and hundreds of yep. years. So yeah. So yeah. Um, Maggie, but, however, so I, I was mean, gonna, I was gonna say that this this it, it, you you hit something interesting. I want to talk about it just real quick before I, before we we go on. As he there, there's this interesting moment where there's a, like what I what I call a heartbreak, and it's where Magni says that he has one final request, and then there's nothing until he's like the final scenes. I'm wondering since we and, and this came up just because we we're talking about it. I'm wondering if his request was to see his grandson. Oh, maybe, and we didn't get to see it. Right, but I'm wondering if they're saving oh. that because because I mean the whole the, the last scenes are are sort of like par for the course. Like he's not gonna he's not gonna leave without being seen off, right? That's just a thing that's gonna happen. That I think that's not something he would request, and I don't think that's something that he would have to request specifically from Moira because that scene is there's one last thing to do before I leave, uh, but that's it. Like that, and it's her, and he says, "I didn't think you would agree to it." So I don't know. I don't know if that's what happened, because if I was like encased in stone and I knew I had a grandson, and I came out. And I was like, wait a minute, I have a grandkid. I want to see him before I go do what I need to go do. It's I'm really possible. Now. I'm really curious. Now. I kind of wish that we had gotten to see that now, because that would have been like, oh, so sweet. But I guess. Papa, why are you made of stone? <laughs> well, you see. <laughs> well, <laughs> why, hello. You remember me from such caves as the one underneath the city. Where I've been standing there for five years. Anyway, how are you doing? Gucci, Gucci, goo. Okay. So, yeah. Basically, Magni has awakened. There's a reason Magni has awakened. And it's because he's been communing with Azeroth. Which we had kind of gathered already from that one short story at the end of Cataclysm. um, That he was talking to the world, as it were. And he has... The world has shown him things. He has had lots of visions while he's under there. And he got a series of visions which tie directly into Legion, of course, because, you know, this is a lead-in comic for Legion. So, uh, Rossi or Joe, either one of you want to talk about the visions there? Go for it, Rossi. Oh, Magni's visions? Yeah. That's actually a good point because I'm looking at them right now. Uh, he has the some of the visions he had of seems to have already taken place. But some of them are definitely new. Like there's the molten fell. He, he basically talks about a spear of molten fell fire piercing through the heart of the world, which could be um, the thing we're already seeing. Like if you've looked at any of the previews to Legion, you've seen that the thing shooting out of the temples are Garrus. Or it could be something else. Um, but he sees a legion of demons marching forth, consuming everything in its path, leaving behind only dead land um, choked with bones and broken dreams. This was what I, with the world, what she showed me. This is our future unless we do something to stop it. And the images that they show here are very specifically the Legion. And it's, so it's, it's it looks like the Sundering Part 2, only this time it's not just like, oh no, the continents. Look, no, there's flooding going mar- on. Mar- no, this is, all just, over again. this is just the destruction of the world as mm-hmm. we know it. Um, and... That's that's pretty much the point of this comic is Magni wakes up. He says, look, I saw some really weird stuff go down and I I have some things. 
I got to take care of because I'm not a king anymore. I, I work. I'm. What did he call himself? He said he was a servant for something greater now. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that, he said, right there. I was once a king, but no longer. I have become a servant of something greater. Ye three must prepare the dwarves for what's to come. Yeah. And then he says, I have no. Basically, he's saying, I have no interest in ruling you guys again. You guys have done a great job with what you've been doing. And I'm going to go ahead and take off. But before I do, I want. I, I need to ask. Moira for a favor and then they go off they do their favor and then the last scene the last scene just like broke mm-hmm. my heart this is this is where those onion cutting ninjas came in you want to talk about the onion cutting ninjas joe so there's this moment where they're talking away from the other dwarves and it's it's magni and moira and he tells her i've watched you all these years i've watched you grow into a leader and i couldn't be prouder of what you've become I have failed you as a father, and I will never forgive myself for that, and I'm not asking you to forgive me. But even if stone can come to life, if three rival clans can live under one roof, then maybe we can be a family again, if you can give me another chance. I don't expect an answer now, but think it over, and I'll be watching you through the stones. And he walks off, and you see this lone tear on Moira's face as she realizes that she got everything she wanted from her dad, essentially. That respect, that being viewed as an equal, as a powerful force, as the rightful heir. Like, she's got all that now. And it only took her dad turning to stone and watching her step up. And let's face it, out of all of the clans, she is the one that stepped up the most to bring all of her people together. She to, had to. to defi- she had to, but like like Rossi said, to defy history, to defy hatreds, to defy prejudices that have been in place for hundreds of years, to quell a war that has been raging for hundreds of years among her own people. And she gets that validation at the end. That was a huge, powerful moment for me because it's like, it, it, yes, it's a it's sort of a cliche redemption story in a lot of ways, but it's something that I felt needed to happen for for Moira in particular after all these years of everything she gave us. And in in, in I would argue, story. I'd argue against it being a cliche redemption story because it's nothing. He didn't. Magni didn't commit a great evil. He committed the sin that many human beings commit. He lost sight of what was truly important. He didn't destroy anything. He didn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, no, I mean, I mean it from a redemption story of like. Oh, and you, I would argue the outcast. You have the outcast. You're saying it's Moira's redemption, yeah, and yes. I would absolutely, I That's would argue against that too because I don't think she needed to be redeemed from anything. I don't think uh, she did, but if it has those tropes, eh, I'd, I'd, I'd argue against that. But I get what you're saying. I just what I what I found most interesting about it was that, in a way, Moira has moved. If, if you want to talk about a redemption story from that angle, she's moved not because she's changed her her viewpoints, but she's gotten better at working within the system she's helped create. When she came to Ironforge in, in the prelude to, to Cataclysm, she was a blunt force. She hit like a hammer. Uh, and if you look, read the, the Wild Hammer short story, she's being like manipulative and even a little vindictive. But she's now moved to the point where she just, when, she, when she's arguing with her uncle, and that's her uncle she's arguing with, that's Muradin, and she straight up argues with him, up front, she isn't playing any political mm-hmm, games behind mm-hmm. his back. She just looks him in the eye and says, no, if I have to, I'll fight this. And that's – it's not that her position has changed. It's that her means have changed. And that's, that's She's grown up. Yeah. You could, you could make it definitely be the case that she's grown up. Or you can make it the case that the dwarves have grown up. 
Yeah. I think the dwarves as a, uh, as a whole have kind of grown up because if nothing else in the last 30 years or so of Azeroth's history, um, there's been a lot of shifts that had nothing to do with the dwarves, but they affected the dwarves regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, just with the world itself being in peril so often and so frequently and also the new allies that the dwarves made with the with the alliance and their relation with the alliance and with the other races of the alliance. So th- there's a lot of there's there's been a lot of political shifts and there's been just a lot of um, almost societal shifts within the dwarven community, as it were. Um, and Moira's kind of ridden that wave and come out on top. She had to figure out how to do it. And we didn't see a lot of that struggle that she had. But it's it's really evident that that struggle was there just because of her placement in society. The fact that she aligned with the Dark Iron Dwarves, these this clan that was pretty much hated by both of the other, you know, strong clans that are out there. Um, the fact that she aligned herself with them, allied with them, made herself, well, she kind of accidentally stumbled into the role of their leader um, because of Dagrin's death. But, you know, she has a child that she's raising and she came back. She established herself as a strong force. And then gradually she's kind of learned not to bend necessarily, but to work with other yeah, people. Actually, it's kind of funny because it's the opposite of bending. Yeah. Because in other cultures, you'd be you'd learn to bend and get your weight. She's learned to be direct. She's learned to be a hammer. Be direct dwarves, and yeah. Dwarves respect that. Dwarves respect you coming at them. Yeah. And that's what she's yep. learned to do. She's actually learned how to be a dwarf. It's really fascinating. And I wouldn't say that that like the end of the comic was Moira's redemption or anything like that. I would say that Moira's entire life has been kind of like this, not necessarily redemption arc, but just an arc where she's trying to live up to her potential. And she finally managed to get there. And the end of that comic is it's her receiving acknowledgement for that. Mm -hmm. And she hasn't had that kind of acknowledgement from anyone before, especially not her father. And her father's probably the most important person that could have given that to her. So it was really kind of touching in a way. Um, Absolutely. So yeah, the comic it's, it's 10 pages and it's not terribly long or anything and it's a freebie. So I really recommend that you go read it, but let's move on. Let's move on and talk about she. <laughs> well, yeah. I, know I was, I was Rossi... actually going to bring that up. I was going to bring that up with uh, in context of the comic too. Actually, well, Rossi, Rossi had uh, you already started going down that path, yeah. and I wanted to talk about that anyway because there is this obvious connection between Azeroth and Elune where they might possibly be the same person. Uh, you want me to lay like out what I'm thinking? Um, yeah, go ahead. Because I mean, right. the, it's it's been out there, you know, rumors yeah. about that have been swirling around. I've been kind of working on a tinfoil hat on that, but it's not really a tinfoil hat because the evidence is almost there to yeah. justify that opinion. So go ahead. Uh, basically, if you look at the 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 um, Titan relics, the Pillars of Creation, like I said, four Titans and then a Loon. And when you go read Chronicle, um, one of the things that they're talking about pretty constantly is how Azeroth has the potential to have the greatest Titan soul of them all. And when the, the, the Titans sent the Titan forge to fight the old gods, Amonthul physically ripped, uh, Yashaj out of Azeroth. And in the process created the well of eternity. It was basically a big bloody weeping wound in Azeroth that they then had to spend a lot of time trying to stabilize and fix so that the planet didn't die. And they managed it, but you know, the well was there. Uh, when the night elves 
started telling legends of a loon, it was after they came to the well of eternity. And the thing that they kept saying about their moon goddess was that she rose and fell into the well every, every night. She came from the well at night, went through the sky and then went back into the well during the day. Now that could just be mythopoetic, but what we know is that, that a loon is a presence. A loon exists. She can act in the world. She's acted in quests and she acts in Legion. She, she directly recreates mm-hmm. the tier of a loon when something happens that I'm not going to tell you. Uh, as a result of this, I think it's if even if a loon isn't the, the Titan soul of Azeroth, which I think she is, she's something that's alive and present right now. And she's tied up in Azeroth because I, its fate, its fate very much relates to, to the she here. I, I really do think that there's a relation. I think that a loon is Azeroth's world soul. And I think she's the she here. I think the comic also, and this is, this is where I was going to tie this in. Cause I was going the same route you were. I mm-hmm. think that the comic also adds further validation to that point, and it may be a little bit of a stretch, but hey, we're not we're not uncommon with that sort of thing here. I just completed the Tier of a Loon quest for the first time on the beta, um, and I happen to notice that it is a giant crystalline tier. Magni is a giant crystalline creature crafted by Azeroth itself by tapping into that. Like, none of the other old dwarves, none of the other earthen, any of that show crystalline structure. That is a very unique thing. He is the only being of that nature currently. It is entirely possible to me that Elun is Azeroth because of this, and that is her manifestation. Because every titan has had its own flavor when it created its race. Every It had its own sort of physical manifestations, its own sort of physical characteristics, well, if the tier of a loon is this giant crystalline pillar of creation that she crafted for us when the old one was gone, and Magni happened to be turned to crystal when he tapped into the land itself, the world, because let's not forget, that's what he was doing when he turned into this crystalline creature. And he's been in communion with this thing the entire time and even states that I can feel it. I am part of it. I am part of this world now. I am one with the world now where I can feel everything that happens through the stones. I think that I think that you guys were absolutely correct. And I think that Elune is Azeroth. I think that we're just getting further confirmation. Uh, now you're assuming piece that I piece. agree with this Elune is Azeroth theory. Well, I mean, we'll see. I have. She's about I, I, to tell you what she's thinking. So. I have. Sorry. I have a slightly different perspective on this and to support it. We just need to go back to the Tauren mythos. Um, I think that Azeroth is the Earth Mother, the one that created the Tauren, the one that created everything else. I think that Azeroth is the Earth Mother, and then you have Elune and Anshi, who are supposed to be her, you know, her eyes. Um, I don't think that Elune is maybe the world soul itself. I think it, it, she might be one aspect of that world soul, maybe, but. Just judging from what we've seen with Torin history, unless I, I can't, I can't see Azeroth being anything but the Earth Mother, unless Elune herself is the Earth Mother. But but again, you know, Torin legends kind of directly contradict that. So where does that come into play? Is that just legends are wrong, or and how does Anshi fit into all of this? Right. Well, there is also the possibility of something else too. Um, not to get too into it, but. Um, there are other entities we know of that are crystalline and deal with light. Well, yeah. 
Alun's a Naru. No, she's not yeah. a Naru. She's not a Naru. Yeah. We do know this. This has been established yes. in Legion. She's not a oh, Naru. Yeah. Absolutely, she's not. Um, but I am willing to point out that those those guys exist, mm-hmm. and they exist because of. They can are. We say this? Can we say this? I mean, do you do you you should say it, but can we say it? Do you, do you feel like it's too much? What? Oh, like the spoiler material stuff. You know what? We already we already said that there were going to be spoilers, so spit it out, Rossi. Well, I mean, you're the one that told me about it. I haven't gotten to see it yet. Um, but um, Alun is responsible for the Naru. Yeah, somehow. Um, yeah. There, there, there's a definite correlation between Alun and the Naru, like Alun created the Naru. Um, the implication is there. And if that's the case, then Alun might be that thing in between... Um, Oh my gosh! When we go back to the whole cosmology, the the, the cosmology, mm-hmm. the chart that that was in the beginning of Chronicle, you remember mm-hmm. how we had that whole talk about how on the void end of things there was like the void, and then there was the void gods, and then there was you know there was like that step in between, mm-hmm. and then there wasn't a correlating step in between on the yeah. light end of things. There was just the light and the naru, and there should have been a step in the middle. But if there was, it wasn't listed there. I think that's where beings like Elune and maybe even Anshi, whoever Anshi is or whatever Anshi is, that's where they sit on the that end of the spectrum. Yeah. For all we know, though, I mean, the Tauran myth could be mythopoetical and both Elune and Anshi well, could be the same being. But we don't know. Here's the fun part. If we, if we go into the whole cosmology part of things and we look at that chart, right? Here's the fun part. If that is the case, then that means that Azeroth, the Earth Mother, may be the fullest representation of light in the universe. Like the direct correlation to that void that's leaching out into the cosmos. Azeroth was meant to bloom into this light that's supposed to leach out over the cosmos. Yeah? That's certainly one possibility, yeah. Yeah, that's a possibility. Maybe. I don't know. There might be something really expansive and huge going on there. I don't think we're going to get quite as as huge on the cosmic scale with legion but we're approaching that point where we're going to be talking about these really big cosmic things that that make us feel so tiny and small that that's coming on the horizon here well one of the things you've actually got me thinking about just from this conversation um since we're talking about the cosmology and so forth is if a loon exists as an entity of like in the you know above the naru in the light side of things um, it's possible that what we're talking about is the Earth Mother or Azeroth, whatever, channeling it the way that we channel it. Do you know what I mean? Like we tap, we tap the light as a concept. Oh, yeah. And it's possible that you effectively got the world. You know, we have the Emerald Dream as the world's dreams. Mm-hmm. It's the, the thing, the place where they dream. Uh, we could be looking at the prayers of a planet. Like what does the planet pray to when it needs comfort? You know, that's one of the things prayers are for, is comfort and succor. When you've been wounded like that, a loon might have come to the wound because it's, you know, effectively the creator of everything. It's it's the light. This is when Velen, I'm, I'm getting a little so attractive, but when you're doing Warlords Draenor, and Velen goes up to the Naru, when it, the Dark Star, Kara, and he, he basically puts his staff on the ground, blasts out in a pure light, and redeems Kara at the cost of his own life. You get a letter from Velen after you do that. And it takes you back to Karabor. And there's a, an altar in Karabor. You go up to it and Velen's, I don't know, memory or spirit or whatever you want to call it appears. And speaks to you and goes, Savior of my people, I hope you can help them understand. The light is life and it cannot be destroyed, only changed. I knew 
when I saw that noble Naru, the reason we were able to escape in the first place, when I saw her dark and corrupted, I knew what I had to do. So it's, do you see what I'm saying here? Yeah. There's that, this might transcend, you know, Illum might transcend things like Titans and Titan souls and world souls. And it might just be that thing coming in response to the, you know, the cry of pain of a, of something so vast and enormous trying to be born and being so horribly wounded. And then the, you, you, the question becomes, what is Anshi? Well, if Elune is that, Anshi could be anything. It could be... Th- we have the cosmology, the lights up top, and then the various other spheres are around it. I believe fire is right next to light. No, it's uh, it- nature's on one side, mm-hmm. and then fell is on the other. Okay, fell is on the other. That's interesting. Yeah, it goes... It goes there's... Um, Holy, nature, arcane, shadow, necromancy. I don't have the book here. Fell. But where's the the elemental plane of fire in relation to it? Like, where is it touching? Does Uh, it touch both light and fell? Yeah, it touches both light and fell. So there you go. If you have this pure force of light, Anche could be it's where it touches fire. I don't know. I don't know. Um, It's kind of interesting to think about, though, because like I said, a lot of this, you know, when I... When I heard about this, I kind of went back and I looked at those Torin legends again just to see what isn't they said. One, isn't there one about like how when the Earth when the Earth Mother created the Torin, she did so by casting her shadow out onto the land? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, let me go look that up. You guys keep talking. Well, no, I'm looking at it right now. She's basically it's it says, uh, let's see. The creator's loving gaze was so powerful that she closed one dreaming eye for every turning of the sky, thus turning day into night for the first dawning of the world. When the creator spread her arms out across the golden plains, the shuhalo arose from the soil wherever the arm's shadow had passed. So, yes, there yeah, is the, the shadow. So, the shadow, basically, the torn come into creation wherever, she, you know, in her shadow. They, they come out of her mm-hmm. from where she blocks the light. That's, that's interesting. It's, yeah, I mean... All of the all of the Torin legends are really kind of interesting because these aren't they weren't really written down. I mean, yes, you do have the scrolls up on Thunder Bluff, but those were basically people writing down what they remembered, what had been passed on. Yeah, it's the problem with oral tradition, right? It's it's oral tradition, and it's also the fact that the Torin themselves they were very they were nomadic, so they were separated into different tribes, and those tribes would just kind of wander the plains, as it were. They didn't they didn't necessarily like have any sort of written history or anything. They just had that traditional history that was, that was passed down through telling tales at the campfire. And of course, you know, as with any good game of telephone, those words get kind of shifted over the years. They, they get, they get kind of like, they change, they alter. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Basically I'm reading the sorrow of the earth mother myth now because I Googled all this stuff and found some guy named Matt Rossi had written about it. So I was like looking at it <laughs> and it's, yeah, there's the idea of, I'm starting to get this idea of the earth mother transcending even what we're talking about. So it's, it is interesting. I, I do still think that the loon might tie into it though. Cause there's the whole, the, the fact that she's one of the five Titans for the pillars of creation, that she was involved in the creation of the pillars of creation is kind of fascinating. I also, I feel like I should go on record here because I obviously, since, well, I think that was one of the first, it was the first tinfoil hat I ever did mm-hmm. back at the old website was Aluna Zanaru. Mm-hmm. And then I had all of this evidence to support it. Like so much evidence to support that theory. One of, 
one of the most direct ones that that still to this day I look at it and I go, yeah, that. Um, there was an illustration done of of uh, Elune for the I want to say the Warcraft RPG books, mm-hmm. and it depicts a night elf who's wearing this very crystalline looking crown, and that crystalline crown looks exactly like Naru architecture. And, and like all of the Naru architecture and all of the buildings and all, even the Naru themselves, all of the stuff that we saw in Burning Crusade that was introduced in Burning Crusade looked like that. There was like, there was a direct correlation there. And I'm like, there's something going on here. Um, and that's been established. In despite, Legion. despite, despite saying all these years that Alun is a Naru, I'm okay with actually where they have her right now as not a Naru, but, but still connected with them. Because if she created them, that makes all kinds of sense. And it still leaves that kind of sense of mystery of what the heck is she? <laughs> Which yeah. is, that's the, I mean, I guess maybe that's what we're trying to like kind of untangle today. And I don't oh, know yeah. if we're going to yeah. come up to any kind oh, of solution. <laughs> but like, what's interesting, too, is it ties into so many things that are weird and crystalline about Titan stuff that we never really figured out. Like, right. why are there those crystal caves in Ungoru? Right. Um, why are there other crystals up in Sholazar? Why are those no. weird pillars of light? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It, it all sort of ties together. But, I mean, the biggest thing, the only thing, really, that I can look at here as far as a possible explanation for what Alun and Anshi are, it's not re- even really what they are. It's just, it's just that cosmology chart. Because the light directly, res- you know, it's directly across from shadow. It corresponds to sh- shadow. So there's light shadow there's the shadow like the void and there's holy mm-hmm. there's the void lords and then nothing on the holy side and then there's the old gods and the naru and yeah, i they're... think that alun and anshi hit that they are the opposite of what the void lords are there might even be more than just the two of them oh so, yeah no but... there might be some for every planet we don't know <laughs> yeah. what's really interesting too is the idea that the naru in a way are the light version of the old gods and how the old gods are these creatures of corruption, but they're housed in flesh, even though they're created by. That's why I'm still wondering. I had a tinfoil hat out there and I'm still wondering if this is the case. If the old gods are basically the Naru as afflicted by the curse of flesh. That's one interesting way to look at it. It's like a shadow Naru that's been inflicted with the curse of flesh. So it's just kind of like devolved into this thing. And I think that that's been disproven, but at the same time, it's still an interesting theory. I don't know. Joe, you've been quiet. I need you to say something. (laughs) Well, no, I've just been kind of thinking because like there's so many different, and we, we, you know what, this brings me back to when we first started talking about Chronicle. We even said this Chronicle is going to give us this big definition of like history and what happened but it's not going to stop the the theories of what else is going on because while it gives us a base there's still so much possibility and right now i'm just trying to pick my way through it mentally like i'm still i'm still trying to figure out where everything slots in i don't really have a whole lot more to say about that right now but like it's just it's fascinating that despite how much we know despite how much has been proven or disproven or given credence we still don't know everything Mm-hmm. There's still so much has yet to be defined. There's still so much, even even in the game's lore, even in even looking at Chronicle that I don't know, almost seems to contradict itself in in such a manner where like you could see perspective, but like trying to pick those apart to get to the root of the truth or or what connects them is so boggling. I uh, one thing I do want to say is that we whatever whatever uh, is going on here, whoever the she is, she's talking to Magnate. 
and Magni leaves to do her will. And he's going out into the world like Kane from Kung Fu um, to basically try and get everyone on board on the Legion thing. And that's all we know. We don't know where he's going exactly or what he's going to do when he gets there. Uh, but he's a big crystal dwarf and he's out there to fight demons, I guess. Well, and I'm, I'm really fascinated by the fact that he's still attuned to the world, right? He's like still this... crystalline. He didn't change. He well, didn't no, change no, back. He... It's like he just started moving again. It's like he. But it's it's such a broad thing, years. though, right? Because yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look at look at all the other Titan Watchers. Look at look at all the the avatars of the Titans that were created and and put onto Azeroth. I don't think we've heard any of them have that sort of claim to be absolutely in tune with the entirety of the planet, right? No, I don't think so. No. In so fact, this is the first time we've outside seen outside the planet. Really, they don't. They yeah. are, which is that's why I'm kind of like like I'm with you uh, as far as like if Elune is in in Broiled and Azeroth, there's a deeper connection than we possibly understand. But it's like now we have to know. I, I need to know what Magni is serving if it is Azeroth, if it is you know a Naru that's embedded in the planet somehow, or if it is a something else that's bridging the two together, or just the Earth Mother, such, or just the Earth Mother. But who's the Earth Mother? Like that's yeah. and that's the thing. Like who is, that leads that next question: Who's the Earth Mother? Is the Earth Mother, you know, a split personality and that, like, you know, presents herself as Alun and Anshi? Is it, uh, is it the the being of Azeroth that's still yet to hatch? Is it the spiritual manifestation of the physical form of Azeroth that's still trying to piece itself together? Because we don't know. And that's the other thing we don't know is we, we know that Azeroth was wounded and we know that that wound is still there, kind of. Uh, yeah, it, was, it was wounded. Then they tried to stabilize it. And then we blew up Kalimdor. Exactly. So, so got, you know, that's not good for a wound to have it explode. Right. So but we don't know what that caused. We don't know what that fractured. And we know so little about how Titans are born, how, how they are, are sort of in that gestation period, what happens to them and how they identify and how they grow, that these could all be just different pieces of the same Titan. Like these could all be different pieces coming together for it too. It's it's fascinating. Like where you have the Emerald Dreams. Well, the Emerald Dream is like the manifestation of its dreams, and then maybe Elune is the manifestation of something else. I don't know. Like like maybe Elune's a manifestation of its hope. Because let's let's be honest. Like there's always that hope and peace and in sort of joy that's associated with Elune, right? I'm still leaning towards that whole cosmology chart and the hole in it. Like like the gap in it in that one particular spot everything well, else it's... lines up perfectly and there's that's, just that one missing piece there that's the thing i was like touching into about we talk about the naru the naru can only exist in our world at the cost of a cycle that gives power to shadow as much as it does light they can only exist as beings of pure balance they 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 touch the void they touch the light they live in both they go through cycles and it feels like void beings cheat whereas light beings play the game do you know what I'm saying? And it feels like if you've got... Expand you, on that. Well, if you've got Elune and Anshi as two sides, like they're, to, they're the moon and the sun, day and night, they exist in cycle. One rules at this period, one rules at that period. The, the Naru are creations that accept that you can't have light without shadow. Light, create, light makes shadows. The Earth Mother raises her arms and blocks the light, and then there are shadows. And the shadows create life. You can't have life without death. You can't have light without darkness. You can't create without destroying. The void doesn't want creation to happen. 
The void wants everything to just be void. It wants nothingness. It wants no variations. It wants no distinctions. It doesn't want to have light and shadow. It wants nothing, not shadow. Shadow isn't nothing. The void gods live there that because it's the last remnant of what nothingness is. But there's all this stuff that isn't nothing. And that's what the Naru represent. They represent the cycle that the void gods are trying to overthrow. The void gods want to destroy that. Did you see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I feel like there's this big piece around that cycle that would explain to us what Alun and Anshay and others like them might be. Because they represent the game, the existence, the creation and destruction and moving forward. The void gods are only entropy. Yeah, what are they? That's, yeah. that's going to be, that's probably going to be the next big question that we're going to be chewing over for the next good however long. Mm-hmm. Because Chronicle, obviously Chronicle covered that in its volume already, but it still left a bunch of holes and gaps. And future future volumes of Chronicle are just going to go into the future of Azeroth's history. They're not necessarily going to touch on the Titans anymore because, well, they yeah. did that already. Been there, done that, they're gone, supposedly. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't it, know. It, just, it feels again like you've got one side is playing the game and the other side wants to knock over the board. <laughs> and that's why you have that's why you've got Sargeras is a little crazy because he comes from the side that wants to play the game but he sees the other side cheating and he's like they're cheating we, we got to do is burn the board to the ground and then they can't cheat anymore <laughs> well true but that destroys the game man well maybe that, they just need to be a little bit more like Moira and learn then, to adapt <laughs> by destroying the game though then doesn't he then serve their purpose that he's actually fi- oh man yeah. I don't know. Because then he serves know. that purpose if they're fighting against to overthrow the game and he's destroying the board. Which may be why the old gods aren't. <laughs> yeah, the old gods aren't really like uh, trying to stop yeah. him so much. Um, no. they are, are they working with him? No, but they aren't. They are not concerned about him. Well, they're the not Nath- concerned. Look at the Nathrazim. The Nathrazim love void energies. Yeah. They could be a fifth column inside the Legion secretly working for the old gods this whole time. Uh. Because they love void energies. They love. When a, when a planet gets destroyed by the void, the Nathrazim flock to it. Well, all this talk is fascinating. And I think that we've kind of actually run out of time this time around. But if anybody has any questions or anything, you can please feel free to email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Be sure to put Lorewatch in the subject line and we will take a look at those and see if we can find any more topics to talk about. Or just, you know, answer your questions if you got them. Blizzardwatch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzardwatch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, the listeners of Blizzard Watch and Lore Watch and all of our podcasts, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. They do have several Blizzard titles. While The Shattering is not one of those books that's been released on audio, which I find kind of odd, you would think that they would have done that one, but alright then. You could still pick up the the uh, lead-in novel to Legion, and that would be Illidan. Um, It kind of, it takes place simultaneously, I guess, with Burning Crusade for the most part. But it's a definite lead-in to the next expansion, and it's something that you might want to listen along to while you're checking out the new comic. Um, You can go ahead and download that or any of Blizzard's other titles that are available there by signing up at blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Um, and I think that kind of wraps us up for today. So I guess final thoughts, Rossi. 
I think it's interesting that we've got we've got Magni now. He's back, but he's not king anymore. And I want to see what he does. Like, what's what's his purpose? Okay. Uh, Joe, final thoughts. Same thing. I'm actually very happy that they brought Magni back. I'm really happy that they didn't just let him take back over and completely undo everything that's been so awesome about the dwarves as a whole over the last several years, because let's face it, the dwarf story has been better than it's been ever. And I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next and what his role is, because even though we've seen a lot, we haven't seen everything yet. My final thought, I dig Moira. I've always kind of dug Moira. I like her even better now. I like the fact that she got a little bit of a highlight in all of this. And I like the fact that they're still allowing her to continue to lead because She's real good at it. <laughs> and she's proven that she's real good at it. So I'm kind of hoping that we see more from her in the future. And I also hope that we see more of these free comics like leading up to Legion 2 because there are plenty of things that I would like to see addressed. You know what I would really like to see addressed, you guys? Mm. What what happened to Coltira? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, please. Let, can we please, have a comic something? of that? <laughs> is he back or yet? Like, yeah, in in Legion he is, but there's yes. no explanation for nope, what happened. So I'd like to see I'd like to see a comic of that, please. It's like he was in an episode of Lost for like this entire time or something. I have no clue. And then he just kind of popped back. I would yep. like to see a, a, an explanation for what happened to him. I would like to see an explanation for what happened to Neptulon. That oh, yeah. would be fun. Um, th- there's a few there's a few different loose ends from Cataclysm through Miss of Pandaria that I would like to see tied up in comic form and that would lead directly into that whole Legion thing. So hopefully we'll see that. Anyway, uh, that wraps us up and we will go ahead and see you guys in two weeks. <laughs>